It's the big one. It is the culmination of the last few months of the Open Line podcast. And, well, it's all come down to this. Uh, thanks for joining in again with Pinnacle. Thanks for downloading. For all the episodes, if you have been listening intently and picking Eric's brains um, on the podcast throughout the NFL season. Now, we have got Eric Eager, as ever, alongside uh, me here on uh, the, the podcast, PFF uh, NFL data expert. We've also got another voice as well, because, you know, it's the Super Bowl. We, we thought we'd get somebody else in just to try and chew the fat, pick the pick the numbers, maybe give a different little bit of perspective on things to Eric. We'll have to see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But that man um, who we've got alongside Eric uh, for this week um, is Adam Chernoff, who is the uh, senior NFL strategist at Covers. Uh, welcome along, Adam. Uh, thanks for coming along um, and, and being part of Pinnacle. Now, we were just talking off air a moment ago and... Um, this Super Bowl one for you, it's not really the best episode for you to make your debut, is it? No, I, I mean it would have been phenomenal if it was San Francisco, Cincinnati, and how that would have played out as like the way that the numbers were initially early posted in the market. I would have had enormous value showing on San Francisco, but uh, unfortunately, we're kind of at what I think is the right number on the side for this one. So, still a great game to talk about, but uh, a little bit. A little bit sad we didn't get that betting opportunity with the Niners. Well, there we go. There we go. Is that a, a sentiment that you echo, Eric? Actually, in, in many ways. Yeah, I think I think for the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is all about the alternative markets, right? And and you know, trying to find you know matchups that that you know will dictate sort of an outcome that can be fat tail. I think that that's a big part of this game. I, you know, early on, and 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 I noticed you know with, with Pinnacle, you know, it was this way as well. But it's like you know a lot of those numbers move right away and then they sort of sit in place for 10 straight days. And we're sort of talking about the same numbers over and over. Um, so, you know, if, if you got out ahead and got some good numbers, you know, on Sunday night, uh, Monday or, or Tuesday, good on you. But after that, it's sort of going to be, I think, in my opinion, you know, whether you're looking at alt spreads or, or props and things like that, uh, that that's kind of the place uh, in my estimation that you have to go with the Super Bowl after the first couple of days. So this is, and you quite rightly pointed uh, to, to, towards Pinnacle's odds, actually, Eric, there. You can get them all, pinnacle.com, Los Angeles Rams against the Cincinnati Bengals. The full odds are on there. Every little bit of betting that you can imagine is over on the website. So do feel free to go and check those out whilst you're listening along to the podcast. And uh, well, you know, play play some bets. Why not? Why not? Um, first of all, just want to pick your brains on the on the championship games. Um, Bengals defeating the Chiefs, uh, Rams defeating the 49ers. I mean, quite generally, what have you made of the whole playoff campaign this year? Has it really taught us anything going into the Super Bowl? And also any thoughts for maybe next season, if it's not too early to talk about that? We'll start with you, Eric. Yeah, I, I think the the playoffs, you know, uh, uncovered the fact that maybe after Buffalo and maybe after Green Bay, there weren't really that many good teams. And I don't even think Green Bay ultimately was a complete enough team uh, to get it all the way there. Um, and, and you looked at, you know, Kansas City was, you know, the team that was, I think, most uh, the high, the highest probability of being able to take over a tournament where the, there weren't that many like elite teams or every team had flaws. Um, and that manifests itself, right? When you look at the Rams uh, beating the 49ers, uh, it was a game where both teams made mistakes and it was the team that took advantage of the, of the last mistake, which was the Rams, that came out and won. And it was the team that squandered the Rams' mistakes and the interception uh, dropped by Jaquiski Tart really, really moved that one. In Kansas City, Cincinnati was Kansas City just, you know, made mistakes in the second half offensively. And I don't think Cincinnati was brilliant. They only scored one touchdown on a drive that started in their own territory. 
Um, but they ultimately just were able to step in when Kansas City didn't. Yeah, and Adam, is that is that the way you kind of saw it as well? I'm guessing it is. Well, the problem is Eric's been too busy traveling and doing fancy media appearances all over the country this <laughs> week. So I haven't got like the full in-depth analysis to what happened at the game he was at with Cincinnati, Kansas City, because on the my problem is I'm not watching the games in the PFF studios where you get all the views and the grading and everything. And so I only see what's happening on the broadcast. And to me, that Chiefs collapse in the second half was one of the more unexplainable things that we've seen over the course of the entire NFL season. Not, not because there isn't like a reason, but I don't think we saw what the Bengals were doing defensively well enough or had it like articulated to us on the broadcast while it was happening to know what changed between the first half and the second half. But then part of it too was like the one part of the Chiefs team that you didn't think was going to collapse. And you could maybe make the case that like that Chiefs offense from like an entire unit perspective of the 64 offenses and defenses in the NFL that you wouldn't expect to collapse was the one that broke down in just alarming fashion. So to me, that was a game that just because of how it played out in the second half, there was a lot of questions that were never really answered that are kind of lingering. And like Eric said, there was the Bengals benefited from a lot of field position, but it's a Cincinnati team that, They've been outgained every single playoff game so far. And yeah. during the regular season, that would lead to a very different betting scenario, but the Rams in their own right have some concerns too. So it's, it's, it was a weird conference championship weekend. Well, first of all, I want to pick you up on your point that you, you just got to watch the broadcast like the rest of it. So that's good that you're offering that perspective. And also you refer to Eric doing all the media stuff. Only the best insight here on Pinnacle. That's that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. The guy is he's a mogul. It's <laughs> it's unstoppable. <laughs> we love it, and we're glad to have him as well. We are we're, truly, truly. Um, okay, right. We're, we're just gonna have a look at. Um, I mean, also on that. So, are there any were there any like intriguing plays that you guys saw? I mean, I mean, you talked about the whole the whole everything, right? But. Is there anything that you saw that we could see again at the Super Bowl from either of the two sides that won the respective championships, Adam? Not at the Super Bowl, but we need to talk about the punt. Right, okay. I think that's the most intriguing play that there was. And sure, you might not pick it up, but it's hard to ignore how the game switched off of that punt. But, I mean, there was that. There was, uh, I think, the entire Chiefs play calling in the second half. And there's been a lot of weird second half play calling tendencies from coaches over the course of the playoffs. But um, we, the first 10 plays of that second half for the Chiefs were running back orientated plays on early downs. Like, why was that? If, if the Bengals were dropping everyone back in the coverage and it was this huge change, like, what happened to the success from those plays that the Chiefs had so much with over the course of the last four or five weeks of the regular season and into the playoffs where that was kind of how teams were playing them. Like what, what was going on there? So like that entire second half of plays was intriguing. And then the 49ers in Shanahan in the fourth quarter was intriguing too. Yeah, I think even yeah. the, the play where Kansas City decided to go for a touchdown at the end of the first half instead of there you go. Uh, kick a field goal, obviously those points would have been important. That being said, like the Chiefs in the first half of that game, they gained all but one available yard to them, right? They scored three touchdowns and then they went all the way to the one yard line and missed. And so, as Adam said, the second half was truly bizarre in that it was it was one of those where they went from being unstoppable in the first half. And then the Bengals, 
a really big gamble is what the Bengals did, right? Because they played, they rushed three, played eight in coverage, and basically said, look, if you, we'll dare you to make one patient 70-yard drive. Because if the, if the way the second half played out, the Bengals didn't even score a point in the second half until three minutes left in the third quarter. So it wasn't like the Chiefs defense was collapsing or anything like that. It was honest to goodness, like the Bengals had 11 points to make up and they exactly made those up. And that's kind of what, you know, and expected from an offense and the other teams, you know, when your defense is playing great. But the Bengals defense said, look, we hope we, we're going to dare you to go 70 yards and score a touchdown on us. If the Chiefs would have done that at any point in the second half, including the last drive of the, of the of regulation, that game's over. That game's won. Kansas City's in the Super Bowl. And it was a very crazy gamble given how unsuccessful that strategy was in the first half. Um, but the Bengals pulled it off. And the Chiefs didn't even cross the 50-yard line in the second half until the final drive of the game. So uh, it was a very un- uncanny uh, effort by the Chiefs. And, you know, hopefully, you know, for them moving forward, it, it sort of motivates them knowing that they aren't invincible and that there are uh, teams that will beat them when they don't play well. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, enough of these playoff games, right? Enough of the Chiefs, et cetera. Let's move on. Super Bowl 56 um, in um, LA, which is excellent. Looking forward to that. Um, Okay, right. The Cincinnati Bengals were the fourth seed in the AFC. The LA Rams were the fourth seed in the NFC. It's the first time in Super Bowl history that both teams are fourth seed or lower. So make of that of what you will. Um, There is something to be said, though, from that or to learn from that, isn't there? I'm not quite sure what. Um, Adam and Eric are the experts. They're going to tell you sort of why why that's the case and how, how we ended up in this situation. I mean, obviously we've heard all about the playoffs, but the fourth ranked teams in getting through, I mean, it's the first time ever it's happened. So it's not like it's a regular thing that this, that this happens. Um, Adam, t- tell me, try and work this one out for me, mate. Well, so from a betting perspective, yeah, exactly. Honest, the, you, this is the first time I've ever thought that they were both fourth ranked seeds were when you just mentioned it, because to <laughs> me, it's like the playoffs start and, it's the power ratings for how we have the teams and it's thinking about the point spreads and how they match up to each other. Like there's from a, from a betting perspective, I don't think much of it. Um, yeah. Is there anything to so learn from I, it? I don't really have any insight into like why, why that happened or how it shook down. It's just kind of how the games ultimately played out. I'd say Cincinnati is the bigger surprise being here more so than the Rams themselves. But um, yeah, hearing that for the first time is, is interesting to me because it kind of caught me off guard. But for me, it's just the teams are ranked how I have them in, in my ratings. And, and that was it. Yeah. Does it, does it, I mean, is there something to learn from that though? You know, from next season, when team, when players are, uh, people are putting bets on, right? And they're looking, they're going, who, who am I going for here? Who am I, who am I trying to select? You know, and, and looking at the, at the ranking, you're best off looking at the power rankings as opposed to the standings, right? Is that, is that what we're kind of learning from that? Well, yeah, I, I think, think so. Because it's kind of random, is it not, for the seating down the stretch, Eric? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's very much dependent upon who you play. I mean, the Rams were a loss by the Cardinals away from not even winning their own division, right? Because... Uh, in that week's 18 game, they lost to the Niners. And if the Cardinals would have won as six and a half point favorites or so to the to the Seattle Seahawks, they would have won the division, right? So it's even random that way. And, but like those two games, like don't change our power rankings of the teams all that much when we look at handicap games. So you're right. Uh, there, there's another aspect of this, which I think is actually fundamental to the game of football. And, and one of the reasons why we saw, you know, Tom Brady retire this weekend. Um you know, for the, you know, one of the reasons that the Patriots were so good and so consistent for year in year out, there was one less game in the standings and 
there was almost always one less game in the playoffs for them. The, mm-hmm. the, the uh, Tampa, uh, sorry, the New England Patriots got the bye every single year from 2011 to 2018. Um, and even like Kansas City, we look at it and say, oh, well, they melted down. They were the favorite uh, coming out of the AFC in the playoffs. They were, they, were play, they were the first team in NFL history to play three home games in the playoffs because of the new format. So, it, you know, variance is probably going to it, – it's interesting because, like, in some sense, when you lengthen the season, the, the variance should go down. But in another way, the favorites, obviously, like, if you're a 70% favorite to win all three games – you're a 66% favorite to lose one of them at least, right? Or, well, not at least, but you're a favorite to lose one of them. So, the, you know, it just, I think you're getting more variance because there's less of a privilege of being one of the, there's less of a structural privilege to being one of the great teams. Rams were also the first team, I believe, to ever play two divisional opponents in the playoffs on their way to the Super Bowl as well, because that extra team brings in that extra element right. of familiarity too. So that's, like an ongoing situation where those were both third games of the season against Arizona and against San Francisco that the Rams kind of benefited from in a way. Yeah. Okay. Very good point. Nice. It all feeds in. It all feeds in. Um, just in, in terms of actually looking at the, at the game itself, Dan, the money lines kind of saying that Rams are the favorites home field advantage, of course, which is another thing that is completely weird. This blow my mind this week in terms of it's come along like London buses in terms of actual teams having home field advantage in the Super Bowl. Never happened before until three years ago and then three years in, in, in a row, which is there you go. Um, but Eric, um, why are the Rams favorites? Just tell me why they are. I mean, there's so many different reasons why you could go into it, but it's not just home field advantage, is it? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I don't even think you would make home field advantage that big in this game just because, you know, the, like, last year was a weird year because both teams didn't get in until like Friday or Saturday. So the home field advantage of the Super Bowl was somewhat real and all the people that could go to that game um, in Tampa Bay were like local hospital workers who are, you know, you think of as Tampa Bay fans, possibly like the Super Bowl is going to have a much more neutral crowd feel. Um, and so that's, that's something to think about when, when we, when we think about handicapping home field advantage, I mean, I would still put it probably, you know, just for familiarity of the stadium and all that kind of stuff. I would put it, you know, maybe a half a point. Um, we make the game about three point. We make the teams 3.4 points separate just in general power rankings. And then I think the number had moved out. And actually, they're seeing you're seeing some buyback on Cincinnati coming in this week. But I, I think um, one of the reasons you, you saw it go out to four and a half was this matchup between the Bengals offensive line, which is not very good and a very, very good defensive line by the Los Angeles Rams headed by Aaron Donald. Yeah. Adam, yourself? Uh, I'm right there. Another thing to think about, too, with the stadium familiarity, the Rams are actually the designated away team, so the Bengals get the Rams' usual locker room, and the Rams get bumped to the away team facilities within their own stadium. But, like, you see the ticket prices – Rams fans that are just casual fans going out to support the team. They're not spending five to $15,000 on tickets. <laughs> These are corporate sold tickets that create a very neutral environment as always is the case for Super Bowl. So um, I think home field here is, is very minimal, but like Eric said, when you look at the matchups within the game on the field and you look at kind of the trajectory that both teams came in on specifically Cincinnati, the betting market tends to be lower on teams when you see that, 
like the advanced box score is kind of weighted against them despite them winning. And we've seen that three weeks in a row, really, with Cincinnati. So not as big of a impact from that perspective as you would see in like a regular season week to week basis. But still, it's hard to ignore how the Rams have looked versus how the Bengals have looked that I think like a true number here is just a touch higher than three. And then you add in kind of that home element, but you also add in the trajectory and it's pretty reasonable to get the four here, I think. Okay. All right. I mean, it's, it is a difficult one to call this. I'm, I've, I've been pouring over the numbers before jumping on this podcast with you guys and thinking, yeah, I, I mean, I've got absolutely no no clue where the value is. So obviously try and help some of our pinnacle punters, try and find a bit of the, uh, bit of the value here. How crucial is the... The defensive line of the Rams against the Bengals offensive going to be, you know, if you're if you're a, a bet all right and you're looking at the odds on Pinnacle, how can you kind of factor that in, in into your into your betting? Well, I, this is a perfect sort of back and forth for Eric with the PFF numbers here for Burrow, who under pressure, especially against the Blitz, has done, I believe, exceptionally well among the top QBs in the league. But we saw against Tennessee, there was a case where he was sacked nine times, but still had a relatively efficient day throwing the football. But to me, it's this matchup on the field, Bengals 30th in pass block win rate, Rams top and pass rush win rate. Uh, you obviously have a very big difference here. And in terms of the matchup that I think could most change the game, this is certainly it because this is, it's hard to ignore how big of a mismatch this is for what the Rams could do up front, especially in the interior of that line um, versus any other matchup in the game. So I think it's, it's enormous uh, in yeah. terms of how important it is. Eric, go on, hit us with it, hit us with it. Yeah, you have you have Burrow, Joe Burrow this year, not quite as good under pressure. Most most quarterbacks aren't. Eight eight yards per pass attempt, though. That's a pretty a good number. And I think, like, it does come down to this. It comes down to, and, and I believe this is what, what the last Super Bowl came down to, if the Bengals acknowledge their mismatch on the line of scrimmage and throw the ball to their three wide receivers early, and those three wide receivers can win early in the route, they'll be probably be okay offensively because the Rams are a very top-heavy team on defense. They have Jalen Ramsey who can take away one player. Uh, they're, they're three of their front four guys, are actually all four of their front four guys are great. Um, linebacker level, safety level is a little bit banged up and a little bit weaker. So if the Bengals go into the game and believe, oh, our guys can block it up, we're fine, I think it's going to be a disaster. If they go into it and say – we need to make sure that everything is thrown quickly. Every, you know, we make yards after the catch with guys like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, who is wonderful against the Chiefs, uh, and Tyler Boyd. They should be okay. Um, and, and on the other side of the ball, I mean, like, or both sides of the ball, it, to me, it's also just which team decides to run the football too much because both teams in the championship round ran the ball on early downs way too often and put their quarterback in, in long yard situations where it's just really hard to play quarterback in those situations. So I think the Bengals, if they approach it and say, we have to run on early downs to sort of take pressure off of Burrow, I think that's going to be a bad choice because I don't, I want Burrow taking multiple cracks at this defense per possession and not just one. Have we seen like in terms of Zach Taylor, I was thinking about it today. Like I was trying to think back to a game to me, it always seems like in, we only have two seasons of data for him, but it seems like when things get tighter, he tends to be more conservative. I don't have necessarily numbers around that, but is that like, do you have anything on that from a numbers perspective that justifies it aside from last week? 
Well, last week he certainly did that. And and we've seen it other games against San Francisco. He was like that against Denver. He was like that. The only game where he really let it rip was the Kansas City Chiefs game in week 17, one. where they said, basically, we're not going to win this game unless we increase the variance and we throw the football a lot. But for the most part, he does try to run the football too much. And Joe Mixon this year, an interesting stat, he leads the NFL in yards in yards gained on the ground on run plays that are not perfectly blocked. So he is a, he is a tough runner, but I unfortunately believe that that leads to a lot of sins of commission where basically the running back is a good player so we're going to use him because he's good at he's good relative to when things are bad and then so you opt into bad situations too much as opposed to throwing the football do you think he's influenced at all with the familiarity that he has with McVay working under him for a couple of years like is there like a risk that he tries to outspart himself in a way to catch McVay off guard well, I would, I would hope, I mean, both, both guys did too, like uh, Cam Akers and Sonny Michelle ran the ball too much for the Rams on early downs the last three games too. Um, if I were Zach Taylor, I would try to lull my former boss into running the ball on early downs because, you know, it's going to be hard for them to cover the Cooper Cups of the world. And if and if the Rams opt into sort of like, you know, the, the Bengals version of offense, which is, again, run, run, and then put your quarterback in a third and long situation, that that just plays to the Bengals' hands. Every single run to Cam Akers and Sony Michelle is, is a winner for the Bengals. I can feel like this week matters more. We hear coaching familiarity every Super Bowl. I feel like there's something to it this year because I part of me thinks Taylor's kind of over his head within the matchup. But then again, we've seen McVay like this postseason. I feel like he's been a lot more run heavy despite a lack of success than we've ever seen him from calling plays. Okay. Okay. I mean, it, I'm just also now trying to work out, is this going to be a high scoring game? You know, I, I'm, I, I can't work out if it's not. And this is where you guys are going to go absolutely one way or the other. And I'm going to feel like a bit of a muppet, but this is why you guys are, are the experts. And I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm on pinnacle and I'm, and I'm having a look at the odds, 49 and a half, right? Is it going to be over or under, for example? And, and you feel free to actually stretch the boundaries a little bit more guys um eric is it going to be overall under 49.5 and also why what what are people looking out for when that when they're looking at the high scoring or low scoring super bowl yeah i mean if it's over the key number of 49 i'd probably go under you see some places i even think uh depends upon the day but i think i think some places are are under 49 out 48 and a half i even saw 48 on on, a, on another book um that's sort of where I would start to consider not betting under um, opened at 50. I would say, I mean, the the stuff that Adam and I are just talking about where both teams are sort of trying to shorten the game, trying to, you know, keep, keep risky thing. Like we, we talk about risk in a weird way, but like traditional football risk, which is throwing the ball too much and getting intercepted and stuff. If both coaches sort of like opt into that, neither coach is that like aggressive on fourth downs either. So you might see some punts, uh, it, you know, near midfield, which are always great for the under. So I would say it's probably under until that number gets to like 47 and a half for me. Okay. Nice. Nice. Adam, uh, is that the way you see it? Surely with the risk involved though, Eric, that you said that you talk about, and I know it's obviously a different risk to the traditional risk that you just mentioned, but surely that then does lend itself to a high scoring game as well. So Adam, I'm not sure if you, if, if you want to go down the same path as Eric, you probably do. You're pushing me to make a case for the over. And I, I don't <laughs> think I really have one unless it's just a case where like both coaches go a little bit different than what we've seen them recently with their tendencies. And this just opens right 
tied up, but I still think that there's enough defensive skill in both secondaries that Cincinnati can either play a little bit softer and not allow those huge plays over the back. But on the other side, I think Ramsey can go a long way to negating some of the big individual plays that the Bengals benefit from. So I think the totals totals in the right neighborhood, certainly for points, I don't just see much value one way or the other. Yeah. And in terms of, of markets, are there any others that provide value? I mean, are you looking at handicaps? Is that a good way for, for betters to kind of get, get the head around stuff, Adam? For me, this is probably a better Super Bowl to look at props and wait for those to be available than there is finding a lot of value in any of the alternates or the derivatives. We saw really early, maybe the ones that did have value initially first quarter and first half under, but those were bet into place, I mean, within 20 to 30 minutes after open. So there wasn't much there uh, in terms of the alternate handicap. Again, I just... I think the side and the total are both really close to where the number should be. And in a game where there's just one game on the board or in a week where there's one game on the board, like usually you find value in alternates on a busy week where there's a lot of movement and you're sort of catching some numbers that bookmakers have at the extremes. Not usually do you ever find that at Pinnacle, obviously one of the more efficient trading teams in the entire industry, but like you can look up and down the board, all the alternates right now are priced right in line with where they should be. And that's what comes with just having the one game of focus for not only Pinnacle, but every other bookmaker in the world. So you're just, you're not finding a lot of value. And I think it's really tough to have a projection within this game that's drastically different from the four and the 48 and a half we're seeing. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think you have to look at props. I think one of the one that I really do like is Cam Akers under, you know, six, you know, wherever you look in the market, that's the beauty of this too, is that, as Adam said, like it, there's not going to be a book out there that's going to deviate from what you guys have because they're going to get sniped, you know, uh, relatively quickly, but props, you, you can see, you know, 10 cent differences. You can see three yard differences uh, all over the market. So, there, there are some books that have Cam Akers, 65 and a half rushing yards, 64 and a half rushing yards. I go under that just because, you know, he has, he's been a great story and, and, and coming back from an Achilles injury in a relative uh, small number of time, amount of time, but he hasn't been effective in coming back. And I think there are two outcomes. There are two outs for people in this game, which is a, he still continues to play poorly or the Rams decide to be more efficient offensively and go away from him completely. Uh, and in both those cases, you're likely to win that bet. Yeah. I'm just looking at all the different prop bets. It's, there's, I mean, there's so many you could go at, isn't there? There's loads. Um, but any kind of other interesting storylines that we've not picked up on? I mean, I, by the way, I'm, I'm, I bet there's no NFL podcast in the world that have got 31 minutes in without mentioning Tom Brady. Um, so, I mean, he's nothing to do with what we're looking at, but I think that's that's quite well done to us. I'll just give a, a little tip of the hat to that. Um, but and any of the storylines, we'll talk about Tom Brady at the end and just kind of get the numbers on him from, from your guys' perspective, actually, if you don't mind. But um, in terms of stuff that we've missed... Um, Adam and Eric, you know, that, that little nugget that we've not actually talked about um, th- thus far on the pod. Uh, feel free. Now is, now is the time. The floor is open. Well, I pretty good handicap, but um, I, I think that obviously the defensive line of the Rams versus the offensive line of the Bengals is a big one. I think perhaps the situation for the Rams at both starting safety positions is one that they've kind of navigated around throughout the playoffs. I think it was a really good game from Weddle a week ago, surprisingly, but coming out of retirement there last minute, but against a, like a, a three wide receiver 
dynamic threat like the Bengals have. I think that's an interesting discussion point, potentially, depending on the health um, and who ultimately starts back there for the Rams at safety. But that's like it's a much bigger task for them to defend these three guys than what San Francisco was throwing at them deep down the middle of the field with Jimmy G behind center there. So it's uh, that's another one I think is interesting. Um, and then I, I, like we kind of touched on it. I think just the trajectory of both teams coming into the Super Bowl could lead you to have kind of very different handicaps, perhaps the Rams benefiting a bit from those two divisional opponents within the playoffs, making them look a little bit different from their offensive outputs in those games. But um, to me, it's, it's just, it's the least interesting sort of Super Bowl we could have got from like a matchup perspective. Um, yeah. The Niners would have had there, so many position groups would have created something really exciting, but this one's a bit tricky to like really get further into. Yeah. I mean, you look in Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow, who we talked about, Jamal, uh, Jamal Chase, you know, versus Matthew Stafford at Beckham Jr., Cooper Cup. Eric, are the storylines that kind of come to mind? And we'll talk MVP as well in a moment. So get your MVP hat on. Uh, but Eric, um, yeah, I'm g- kind of going to ask you just, just anything else first. And then Adam, get your, soup, get your MVP pick ready. All right. Yeah. The, uh, well, this game is just a game of stars. The, the, the Rams have three players who are the most valuable players in the NFL at their positions. Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, Naren Donald, right? You add Vaughn Miller and, and Leonard Floyd into that mix. Um, Matthew Stafford's a top five quarterback in the league in terms of war this year. Um, it's just a game of stars. And so if you're the Bengals, you have to attack the weak parts of that team, right? That was always the, when you build a team of stars and moderate players, um, that's the weakness, right? Where the Bengals are much more, especially on the defensive side of the ball, a well-spread out team. There really isn't a star on that defense, but there isn't really a terrible player on that defense either. Um, and, and so that makes it that makes it an interesting, it's, it's sort of a two contrasts in, in, in approaches uh, between the two teams. Um, but yeah, it, to me, um, like I said, I think the Acres under is a great play. I'm always going to bet Cooper Cup overs because that is just what the Rams do as they throw the ball to Cooper Cup. Um, but yeah, that those are that, that's the storyline for me is, you know, can can the Bengals contain, uh, you know, the, the Rams offense and Cooper Cup specifically the way that they did with the Chiefs offense in the second half? Right. The time has come, Adam. You've had a bit of thinking time there. Whilst Eric was giving us the insight into the stardust uh, that the Rams possess against the Bengals. Very steady. I like it. Right. MVP. One name. Hit me and tell me why. Honestly, I haven't bet anything. I'm looking at yeah. the odds. I would, it's always tough to avoid the winning QB getting it. Um, unfortunately, I think Donald's a bit short, like just based on the matchup. I think there's a potential where it's like a, a Von Miller repeat from a few years ago. But that numbers, I think kind of assuming that if, if you're really going down and looking for potentially some value, if the Bengals eliminate Cup, which is going to be difficult to do, but maybe they are able to bracket him and limited some of his production, maybe OBJ playing off of that around 30 to one could be something he's kind of come on. He's not like running the most complex routes or the most dynamic, but he's really starting to be featured a little bit within the passing game. So that could be kind of the guy that benefits from maybe a little bit more attention on Cup. So longer odds there, but maybe some value in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit boring. I, as as Adam alluded to, you know, Von Miller's the last defensive player to win the MVP, even though you've had some really good defensive performances in recent years. Um, last year's Bucks team, for example, is, you know, amazing. But, you know, defensive success is usually s- spread out between multiple players. 
Um, and so usually it's hard to concentrate that. So the Bucks, for example, Tom Brady won the MVP last year, even though the story of the game is really how Tampa Bay's defense did. Um, the last time the Rams were in a Super Bowl, the game was 13-3. Uh, so obviously the Patriots and the Rams defenses both played well. The MVP went to Julian Edelman because he had a great individual offensive performance in a 13-point effort for an offense. So, um, and and to me, the, the only defensive player I'd bet on is Adams. I think the number's a little short on Donald. So. There's a ton of daylight between Matthew Stafford's odds, which are basically like even money or so, and the Rams odds, which are like minus 200. Um, and then there's a decent amount of daylight between Joe Burrow's odds uh, and the Bengals odds to win. And so I think, it, you know, it, to me, it's just a cheaper, it's just a cheaper money line bet on the team you want to want to win. Um, and, and, and so that would be my, that would be what I would go for. I kind of like Burrow more than I like Stafford, but uh, so let, let's go with let's go with uh, Burrow. Nice. There we go. We've got some names there. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Um, and you know, good reason as well behind it. Even though you're right, and the man that you mentioned, who was the MVP last year, even though many people after the game were going, "What really?" was Tom Brady. Um, and he's retired this week. I mean, you guys, you cover NFL. You're all over. I mean, there's been so much said about it this week. Um, so feel free to kind of keep it brief. But um, the, the game is going to miss him. But it was time, wasn't it, from your perspective? Um, I, I've kind of read into this quite a lot. And I mean, 22 seasons, seven Super Bowls, fair enough. But, um, you know, the game is a changing, Eric. Yeah, I actually, it's interesting because like Tom Brady's going to screw up quarterback age curves mathematically forever because he played well into his forties and like did not have a bad season, right? Like there's, um, so in some sense it wasn't really time, but I could see why he retired. I mean, he was a beneficiary of the variance that we just talked about with seven playoff teams. Now last year, they still only played the 16 games, but there were seven playoff seeds last year. They got through from the five seed. It was the first ever time that Brady one while not winning his own division. And then this year they kind of became a prisoner of that situation. 17 games. They, you know, there were no buy. They didn't get a buy, even though they got the two seed, which would have been a buy back when Brady was playing in, in new England. Um, and, you know, and they had to play all 17 games hard because they needed that, that last one for the two seed. And it just, it, it probably wears on you. And I know it doesn't seem like a lot to play two extra games every year, but I can guarantee you that after 22 seasons um, and knowing full well, and Brady's not an idiot, knowing full well how improbable it is to win seven in the first place, I think that it's just a calculation of, of risk and reward for him at this point. Adam, give, give me your thoughts on, on Tom Brady. Was it time? January 16th, 2011 was the last time that I felt joy as a football fan, not related to a betting outcome because my beloved New York Jets put him on his back five times in the playoff win. 28-21, the Bart Scott game. That loved it. And that was just an absolute treat to watch him suffer against the Jets defensive line. But to me, it was time for him to retire about 15 years ago. He kind of tortured us within that division for the better <laughs> part of two decades. So um, obviously the best to ever do it. But uh, as a Jets fan, um, selfishly, I'm, I'm glad he can no longer come back and torture us anymore. You know, that Pretty Jets game reminded me of the Bengals game against the Chiefs in the second half, really. Right. They, they rushed three. You know, Brady didn't have that many weapons. And I, and, um, I know the Chiefs are different, but they, they don't have a weapon after Hill or Kelsey. And it was just like, come and get us. And, and, and it was a brilliant defensive uh, performance by uh, Revis, Cromartie and uh, Bart Scott and all those guys. 
tried to beat us with Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis out of the backfield. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't working, but beyond yeah. Gronkowski was like branch. Dion Branch, I think was they traded Moss that year, so they didn't have an outside threat. So that was yeah, exactly. No, this is great. This is great. I, I, um, you know what? Well done to us, by the way, for getting this far and and, and without actually really mentioning Tom Brady. Uh, Nice words as well, gentlemen, from from both kind of perspectives. Um, also as well, um, on a serious note. It helps the Chiefs this, doesn't it? Um, because sorry, it helps the Bucks this, doesn't it? Because in many ways they have um, you know, time to think about who's gonna replace him. He's not lingered around till March, April time. He's not sort of left them hanging. They now need to go out and get a quarterback and they need to do it fairly quickly. But at least he's given them the time to do that. So I'm I'm sure that was not in his mind when he was uh, releasing that statement the other day. But it's quite it's worked out quite nicely for the Bucks, that hasn't it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks now, but I think unlike the Packers, unlike the Vikings, unlike Cleveland and, and teams that are likely going to move on from their starters, uh, they at least know, yeah, probably a month in, in advance. So I do think that helps them a lot. Um, the, the issue is, is obviously the downgrade from Brady is still so bad that any timing <laughs> differential is still going to be a, a rough, you know, still going to be a rough go of it for them. Yeah. Is that the way you see it, Adam? I mean, it is. Of course, it's the biggest downgraded probably in sports history, whoever they end up getting. Yeah, it's if they find someone, that's great. But there's a big hole to fill now. Mm, yeah, it's not good. Not good. Um, gents, thanks so much for joining us and giving us your insight. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Adam as well. Really good debut as well. Adam Chernoff, uh, Senior NFL uh, Strategist at uh, Covers and also, as ever, mainstay all the way through the season. Eric Eager as well. Thanks for the season, Eric. And uh, we'll hopefully link up again next season. We'll see what it brings um, from uh, EFF uh, data experts. Uh, thanks so much, guys. And uh, we'll take it well, we'll speak again soon. We'll see how, we'll see how the Super Bowl pans out. Thanks for listening.